5, beginning with verse 1. We're going to continue our walk together through Mark's gospel. And, and, and let me begin this morning, like I very often do, by asking you a question I kind of already know the answer to, and, and that's this. Do you ever feel like you've lost control of what's going on in your life? <laughs> you know, I mean, we all feel that from time to time, some even more often than time to time. You know, one of my favorite quotes is the one that says, confidence is the feeling that you have right before you fully understand your situation. <laughs> I think that's, that, that's real. Uh, we wrestle with that. Sometimes we wrestle with that feeling of losing control because we worship control more than God. Uh, but sometimes we wrestle with it for other reasons. And sometimes in modern life, I think we get in touch with that loss of control uh, on one occasion is when we're trying to communicate clearly by text. Have you ever noticed that it's easy to lose control of the conversation? Uh, to think you're saying one thing and find out the other person thinks you're saying another. We had some of that actually yesterday in all of our hurrying around for the memorial service. This week I came across a list of some examples of people struggling to communicate by texting. The first one's just funny. The other ones are examples of what we're talking about. So let me share those with you. For example, this one, Dad, there's a moth on the outside of the bathroom door. Can you get rid of it? Please hurry up. I'm going to cry. Dad, dad. Dad is dead. You're next. Moth. <laughs> That's good parenting right there. That is quality parenting. But here, here, here's a better, better example. Dude, what's your street name? Little Markle. Marco. You live on a street called Little Marco? Oh, you meant my address. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you have a street name. Yeah, it's coming to you. It's coming to you. How about this one? Yep. I like this. Uh, hey, Hey, sorry, I was busy. I sent that two years ago. Anybody been in? I, that's happened to me, you know. Pick up on it later. How, how about this one? Are you going to class tomorrow? Does that mean you're pregnant or not? <laughs> Wires are getting crossed there. How about this? Are you still selling the TV? No, sorry, sold it a few days ago. How about 200 bucks? I already sold it, sorry. 250, I literally do not have it. Then don't waste my time. There's, there's a connection not happening. Yeah. Communication's out of control. Sometimes it happens in romance. I miss you a lot, Sierra. You know what I miss? Oreo cereal. <laughs> what, please be serious. No, where do they sell that? <laughs> You're not connecting there. This one... Mom, I love you. I don't have any money. Try your dad. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Just a couple more. How about this? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dead husband. <laughs> I assume you mean dear. Ah, yes. I meant that as crazy autograph. <laughs> yeah. Little hesitation there. And then if you know your popular music, how about this one? I'm a gangster, I'm a straight-up G. The hamster life is the life for me. Stupid autocorrect, men spending most of their lives in the hamster paradise. I, um, yeah, we can lose control uh, of our communication. And sometimes it's just silly. Sometimes we laugh. But sometimes it's serious. Sometimes someone loses control in their life, and it's a tragedy or the beginning of a tragedy. And God wants to talk to us this morning about the fact that his gift to us, if we're willing to receive it, is self-control. Is the ability to have self-control. 
You know, often we give away the gift of self-control that God seeks to give us. And this morning he wants to talk to us about that. The Bible says over in Galatians chapter 5 that the, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of God's rich presence in someone's life is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control. That fruit of the Spirit that we sometimes forget about in our rush to go with the more hippie fruits, sometimes we miss that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. A life full of God's Spirit is marked by self-control. A life empty of God's Spirit is marked by the absence of the same, an inability to control oneself. So let me ask us this morning, we've laughed, now let me be serious. How's your self-control? How's your self-control when it comes to your temper? How's your self-control when it comes to your tongue? How's your self-control when it comes to your fear? Or your sexuality? Or your ambitions? Or your moods? How's your self-control when it comes to your faith? King David commanded his soul to worship the Lord. Are you able to do that? How's your self-control? The loss of self-control can be a really horrible thing. That's why God wants us to have it. Came across a story this week that illustrates that. Dr. Jose Zuleta of the Advanced Medical Imaging Center in La Paz, Bolivia, writes about a six-year-old girl who was brought to him because she had had her self-control taken from her. She had had it taken from her in the sense that she started laughing and literally couldn't stop. For days, for weeks, in fact, for a couple of months. And, and most of us can remember times when, you know, we got the late night giggles with our friends and we couldn't stop and it was awesome, but it was awesome because we knew we could stop. She couldn't. And in fact, she was in great pain because of it. In fact, her life was in danger. Dr. Zuleta goes on to explain how through the imaging process they were able to identify that she had a tumor in her brain, something called a hamartoma, and it was pressing on a certain part of her brain and causing her to have what are called gelastic seizures. And the beautiful end of the story is that they were able to go in and remove that tumor and then she could laugh when she wanted to and stop when she wanted to. In a very similar way, God wants to talk to us this morning about the fact that he seeks to give us, to give you, to give me self-control. One of the most precious of all gifts, one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. God wants us to know where self-control is found. I invited you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Let's kind of follow through this story together. Watch Jesus restore self-control to a man. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, the scripture says this. They, that is Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. That's significant. We'll come back to it. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had lost control of himself. People had tried to help him with it, 
but it wasn't working. He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. Some people might say strength like that is a great boon. He didn't think so. It was part of the evidence of his loss of self-control. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Let's pause for just a moment. Can we agree he's not having his best life here at the moment? No one would volunteer for this existence. This is miserable. And this man was trapped in that existence. His self-control had been taken from him. Now we know with hindsight that the devil had a role to play in that, but don't jump to the end of the story until we understand what that role was. The scripture says that he came from the tombs. Let's not attach any significance to that, like you might catch a demon if you're in a cemetery on Halloween. That's not the idea here. The tombs in those days was where the homeless sheltered. Why? Because they could get out of the weather. They could find a dry place. They could make a warm place. It didn't cost anything. The, the homeless would break into tombs and make their home there. They didn't have any place else to live. I, I think of that every time I drive to downtown Seattle and you see the homeless living under bridges and overpasses. Why? Because they're seeking shelter. That's what this man was living. And his strength, as I mentioned a moment ago, you might say, well, that'd be great if I could break chains with iron. Yeah, but you don't want to pay the price. And this man is living with an absence of self-control that is destroying him. Something is deeply wrong with his spirit, with the inside of who he is, with his soul, his mind. Now the scripture tells us in verses 6 and following a little bit more about what's happening here. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me that you won't torture me. Notice the singular pronoun. Often knowing where the story is going, we jump ahead and say, well, this is the demon speaking. The scripture doesn't say that. The demons are going to speak in a moment. This is the man speaking. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now, it's interesting to, to take close note of the sequence of events here. The man reacted to Jesus First, Jesus then told the evil spirit to come out of him, and then the man shouted, verse 7, swear to God that you won't torture me. Why would he say that? Because people who are deceived by the enemy of our souls, the devil, a very real presence in our world, people who are deceived think that God comes to take away their self-control. Swear that you won't torture me. He thinks God's agenda in his life is different than it actually is. What do we know that Jesus is going to do for him? He's going to set him free. I'm not going to torture him. In fact, he's going to rescue him from torture. He's going to set his spirit free and restore his self-control. But what does the man think ahead of time? Oh, he's going to take away my freedom. We live in a world full of people who are deceived in that way. And as a consequence... They surrender their self-control to all the lies and deceptions of a very real enemy. They think that what God wants to do is take away their freedom. But Jesus comes to give it to this man. The devil's agenda is always to take away self-control. And he will spread all sorts of lies to get us to think that a certain road will lead to freedom. We're in danger in our country of worshiping 
freedom more than God and in so doing, missing out on both. You see, autonomy isn't freedom. Autonomy is when you get to do whatever you want. That's not freedom. That leads to slavery. Freedom is found in submission to God. This man has done whatever he wants and now he finds himself without self-control. Jesus comes to offer it back to him. Church, hear me this morning. If your self-control is gone, the Son of God comes to you to restore it. That's the gift he wants to give you. Not just then, but now. This is just a, a, a window into his heart and into his power. But he's doing the same kinds of things now. He did it in my life. He did it in many lives. He's still doing that. He comes to restore your self-control. But here's the thing. You must be willing to receive it. You must be willing to put away this deception that says, swear to God that you won't torture me. God, tell me that if I go your way, it's not going to be the loss of freedom. You've got to let go of that. Freedom is found in submitting to him. I, I love to tell the story. I think I've told it before about a summer day when our toddler son, Isaiah, got a big old splinter in his foot. And you know how this goes. They, they come to you crying and hobbling. Oh, I got a splinter in my foot. Dad, take it out. But then they won't let you touch their foot, right? You know how that goes? You're like trying to talk them in. Give me your foot. And then when they finally, now why don't they give it to you? You're going to hurt me. Are you kidding? And then when you finally take it, oh, Dad, I love you. <laughs> you know, right? And they rediscover who you were all along. This man doesn't know that yet. Jesus wants him to know it. Jesus is going to reveal that to him. Let me ask you this morning, what is it that you need to give to God so that he can restore your self-control? Is it a habit? Is it an addiction? Is it a bitterness or hurt? In your mind or heart? Is it unforgiveness? Is it lust? What is it that you need to give to God so that he can restore your self-control? Now, Jesus knows that there's a very real spiritual enemy in the middle of this mess. And so in verse 6, he says to the man, what is your name? Now he's addressing the enemy. My name is Legion, he replied, many. For we are many. Now, before we go on, understand that that's not a technique. This is the only time Jesus does that. He casts out lots of demons. But don't fall into the trap of thinking you've got to know its name. That's actually a pagan idea. Jesus didn't cast out demons by getting power over them by knowing their names. He cast out demons because he's God. The power flowed from him. It's just in this case, he's making it clear to the audience around him what's going on here. And the man begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Not to send the demons out. There's a reason for that. And here's where the story gets hard to understand for us in a modern context. So I want to help you a little bit. We are Gentiles in the 21st century living in the West. The Jewish audience in the first century would have immediately understood what comes next and what it meant. We wonder, why pigs? What's with the pigs? Why do we got to involve the pigs? After all, we're a little bit PETA and we want to take care of the pigs. Why do we got to drown all the pigs here in this moment? A lot of people wrestle with that. I did. First time I read the Bible, oh, poor pigs, you know. There's actually a, a reason that that's part of this story. Let me help you grasp it. Understand that, again, it would have been immediately understood by Mark's audience when he wrote this gospel. 
Under the old covenant, God's people were specifically prohibited from eating pork. It was an unclean animal. Now that's no longer the case. We know from Acts chapter 10 that under the new covenant, God has abrogated that restriction. He gave Peter a great vision. You can read about it in your Bible where all the animals that were prohibited to God's people were offered to them as food. In other words, God had moved to another phase of the story. But that hasn't happened yet in this moment. In this moment, Israel is still precluded, prohibited from eating pork. And yet the people of this area have devoted their whole lives to farming and selling and raising pork. That tells us something about the attitude in the region of the Gerasenes. They called themselves Israel, but they lived outside of the boundaries of a father God. They ignored his restrictions. They ignored his prohibitions. Now we can get into the big picture of why did God have stuff that he changed later. The short answer is, as your kids grew up, you changed the way you parented them as they matured. And in a nutshell, that's what we call progressive revelation. It's part of the story of God. But in this moment, the whole pig thing is very significant because it illustrates the attitude of the people living in this part of Israel. It illustrates the attitude that this man had chosen to make his own. And that is an attitude of rebellion against God. And John Ortberg writes about his toddler daughter who was told by her mom on a, another summer day, Honey, you can ride your tricycle on the driveway between here and here, but if you go past that, I'm going to have to spank you. He tells about how little Mallory looked at the driveway and the boundaries for a moment. And then she looked at her mom and said, well, you better spank me now because I got places to go. <laughs> Maybe you have a child like that, all right? The garrisons were like that even though they were adults and should have known much better. They were living in rebellion. They were living in in a, a, a hardness of heart against God's call for them to be his people. And as a consequence, the loss of self-control became more and more a part of their lives. We're going to see that in a big picture in a moment. We can see it in this man's life right here. He's been living outside of God's boundaries and it has led him to the loss of his self-control. Listen, church, please. A father God, has boundaries in your life like any good parent does. And we mustn't talk ourselves out of them because he puts those boundaries there that we might have the gift of self-control. Sometimes we call ourselves Israel and ignore the boundaries. And when that happens, we head down the same path that led this man to his condition. God has boundaries for us. Listen, he never, ever wants you drunk. Never. There's not an exception for the Enumclaw Wine Festival. There's not an exception for when you go on vacation in Vegas. He never wants you drunk. You're his children. He knows that that leads to the loss of self-control. He never wants you violent 
outside of his authority. There is a need and a time for violence. That's why we have police and soldiers. Sometimes others of us have to participate in that. But he never wants that for us outside of his authority like every Hollywood blockbuster pretends. He, he never wants you sexually immoral. He doesn't. You know, nothing's changed. God's plan is you stay celibate until you get married. Then you stay with one person for the rest of your life. That hasn't changed. Why? Because he wants self-control for us. He never wants you to lie in order to manipulate and get ahead in life. I'm grieved sometimes when a business owner will come to me and say, well, Pastor Greg, you know, my faith is all well and good, but this is business. They're the same. There's no difference. God has boundaries for us. And church, what we want to understand is that those boundaries create self-control. Those boundaries are how he enables us to keep our self-control. He never wants you driven by envy and greed. By the way, I'm just reciting the Ten Commandments. He wants you to honor your parents, to gather weekly to worship him. And he never wants you to use his name irreverently. And he wants you to to put him first in your heart so that you never lose your self-control. And if you do lose it, He's there to say, hey, I'll restore it for you. But the way I'll restore it is to get you back into the boundaries. See, that's what the pig thing is about. Jesus sends the demons into the pigs, and it is an implicit rebuke. It is a, an illustration, a word picture. Hey, you're living outside of God's boundaries. You know better than this. You know I said don't do this, and you're doing it. So Jesus isn't just being flippant or, you know, casual. It's an object lesson. You're Israel. You know better than this. And he he comes into our life saying the same thing. See, here's the thing. Self-control isn't found in autonomy and doing what you want. It's found in discipline and submission. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek doesn't mean the guy who sits in the corner and never says anything. The word meek in the Greek is the root word used to describe a soldier. So meekness is kind of that disciplined submission that a soldier chooses to her commanding officer or that a soldier chooses for his chain of command. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's why Jesus sends the demons into the herd of pigs in verses 11 to 13. He is condemning the rebellious attitude that leads to slavery. And it is an attitude that we have to let go of. It's an attitude of rationalization. It's an attitude of talking ourselves out of his boundaries. You know, if I can share a personal story, we're getting into the home stretch here this morning. You know, we had New Year's resolutions, and probably you thought about them a little bit. And probably if you're wise, you didn't make any, but I made one, you know. I said, uh, gosh, Greg, you got to get more serious about this thing because you're starting to add a few pounds. You're getting older. Something's got to change in your lifestyle. I used to think if I just go to the gym more, it'll work. It doesn't work. So I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to cut out potato chips. No more potato chips in my diet. Because, you know, I can stop at the store to buy a bag of potato chips and pretty much eat them before I get home. I don't know if you're like that, but I can do that. I said, all right, that's, that's not good. And I had the heart thing and sodium, blah, blah, blah. So I said, all right, no more potato chips. I know you're laughing at me, not with me. but um, There's a point here. All right, so, you know, Rhonda's like excited, enthusiastic. Hey, that's great. And my husband's taking care of his heart. So she heads off to Cambodia 
And I'm like two months into this, I haven't had any potato chips. To this day, I haven't had any potato chips. Hey, good for me. Wait. So I go into QFC one day while she's gone, and they're having a massive sale. Two boxes of chicken and a biscuits for $1.99. They're not chips, they're crackers. They're crackers. So I get them. And I know when I get them that when Rhonda comes home, I can look her right in the eye and say, I still haven't had any chips. We're laughing, but we do that. Sometimes with God. Right? That's what the Gerasenes are doing. And look what it's doing. <laughs> so, so Jesus makes it clear, hey, self-control is found back inside of God's boundaries. Listen, let's, let's wrap this up this morning. What we learn here is that there's three things that will steal our self-control. And the first one, we just talked about it, it's sin. It's living outside of God's boundaries. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Yeah, it will take your self-control. Sin leads to slavery. This is a spiritual reality. You can't measure it with a blood test. You can't define it in clinical terms. It has to do with your soul. And while a doctor can help your body and a counselor may help your mind, only God can heal your soul. But he comes offering to do that. He defines sin. There were lots of rationalizations about pig farming in those days, but in the end, it was about attitude. Either we embrace God's authority as Father, even when we don't understand, or we don't embrace that authority. That's what it's really about. God speaks to us as Father. We have to accept that if, if we're to receive the gift of self-control. I love what the German philosopher Goethe said on this. He said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they're free. Yeah. So it's sin. And then the very real reality connected to that is that the devil takes advantage of that. He comes in deceiving and stealing self-control in that climate of rebellion. Spiritual possession is a very real thing. And while it can't happen to a Christian, it can happen to somebody pretending to be one. Over in Acts chapter 19, we read the story of the seven sons of Sceva who said, hey, we'll just slap Jesus on what we're doing and then we'll have power. And they found out that wasn't the case at all. They found out there was a very real spiritual enemy. Serial killer Ted Bundy murdered more than 30 young women in seven states between 1974 and 1978. Before his execution, he confessed that what started with the simple sin of pornography turned into something more horrible and in fact supernatural than he ever thought possible. Yeah, the devil's agenda is to steal our self-control, reject God's boundaries, and we make ourselves vulnerable to his lies and his power. So sin steals the self-control. The devil and his deceptions will steal it. The last thing that will steal your self-control is too much of yourself. Let me illustrate as we finish. Look at verses 14 and 15. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported what had happened in the town and the countryside. Uh, in other words, this, 
the demons, demons were cast out of this guy. All the pigs went into the water. And the people went out to see what had happened, the Gerasenes. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they rejoiced that he was set free and restored and they wouldn't have to deal with him anymore. That's not what it says. It says, and they were afraid. Why? Well, it's about the economy. That's what matters. That's all that matters. And Jesus is messing with our economy. He just sent all our pigs into the water. Yeah, we don't want Jesus around here because he'll interfere with our rebellion. He'll call us to live a little bit differently than we want to. And we think autonomy is self-control, even though we have the evidence that it isn't right in front of us. And by the way, we don't really care about people. We hardly even notice that this man is set free. Oh, they begged Jesus, verse 17 says, to leave their region. Friends, understand something. These folks would have liked God to help them with their pig farming, but when they found out he had a different plan for them, their whole attitude changed. Because the loss of self-control includes losing the ability to want what's good. Yeah, that's scary. Losing the ability to even want what's good. One of the saints said, hell is for people who have killed their desire for God. How tragic is that? That's what these people were experiencing. Lots of folks like them, deceived like them, think God wants to to control them like a tyrant. The truth is he wants to give us the gift of self-control. He comes to give that through his boundaries. He comes to give that by his power when we've gone the wrong way. He comes to give that to us if we will let him. If we will, as this man did, run to him. It's a big deal. NBC Nightly News carried a story in 2014 about Christopher Miller, who was released from prison after 15 years for robbery and assault. The very next day after he was released from prison, he returned to the same stride right shoe store that he robbed 15 years before and robbed it all over again and then waited to be caught. Why? Tom's River Police Chief Mitch Little explained it to a reporter afterwards. He said, prison life is all he knows and all he can see. He's afraid of wanting anything else. Boy, talk about the loss of self-control. Here's the reality. We're almost done. Your soul craves holiness. It wants to live in the boundaries of God. It really does. But some of the rest of you doesn't think so. Some of the rest of you is believing another voice because we live in the region of the Gerasenes. And that other voice has a different message. It's a lie. But it's a message. And that one leads to the loss of your self-control. God wants to restore it. God wants to restore it to you, and it is found under him, in his authority, in his power, in your submission to him. One last story. Ron and I were new believers growing up in God, and a young married couple, 
church we were going to, people started saying, hey, do you think God might be calling you to be a pastor? <laughs> we were thinking, what are you nuts? Are you crazy? That, what are you talking about? That's impossible. I have a plan for my life. I'm going to be a teacher and a coach because I think I could be good at that. That's what I want to do. It's where I'm headed. This, this man came to Jesus afterwards and said, I want to go with you. Jesus says, no, I want you to stay here. And as a result, the Bible says, the gospel was heard in that whole region. People were amazed at his testimony. God comes to us and says the same thing. I have a plan. Will you, will you submit to my plan? Now, here's the beautiful end of the story. You know, we wrestled, oh, pastor, no, I don't want to be a teacher and a coach. And finally, we understood, hey, you know, if you belong to Jesus, then he's your Lord as well as your Savior. Okay, we'll do that. We'll go do that. I thought I was giving up a life of teaching and coaching. Guess what I found out pastors do? <laughs> they teach and they coach. It was what I wanted all along. I just didn't know it. Same is true in your life. Self-control comes. I'm saying, God, have your way. Don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. God, we thank you for your word this morning, Jesus. And we thank you that you come to us this morning with power to restore our self-control. If you're here this morning and you've lost it, know this. Jesus will meet you in this moment to restore it if you will surrender to him. If you will submit to him right here and right now, he will meet you in this moment and restore your self-control. It's what he does. He's here for you. When you surrender to him, he doesn't become a tyrant he becomes your redeemer. And he's here for you right now. All you have to do is reach out and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Drive the pigs out of my life. He'll do it. Lord, we thank you. <laughs> Help those of us who've had the pigs driven out of our life know also that your plan is better than our own. Help us to surrender to the directions you give us in the meantime, knowing that you're working us. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me in church?